Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Strange times, uh, uh, Michael. Um, you were planning, I suppose, with my business, in the bar restaurant uh, trade. We were planning again for this year and concerts in the park and matches down the park and, you know, all the good things that happen, Patrick's Day and all the bank holiday weekends, that drives our business. And uh, all of a sudden, um, this virus broke out. Um, we were cl- we closed our doors on Saturday, the 15th of uh, March. And um, we've been cocooning since. Um, it's very, very strange. Um, it's, it's, it's not nice. It's not nice for um, a lot of people. Um, Plus we have 170 staff in our four premises, and um, we bringing all them in, in on that Monday um, as the, in the four in the, in the groups of four different the four different premises and explaining to them why we had to let them go and helping to fill out the COVID-19 form and helping to post them off. And you know, a lot of young people, a lot of people that didn't understand really what was going on, um, but the severity has, has come to bear, and we've all seen the sad deaths that has happened, and it's just. Very, very strange times. I don't. Think, I hope we'll never see anything like it again. You know. Yeah, and in a way, I suppose it uh, makes us, w- at this stage, probably take stock of our lives. And uh, those of us that are into sport probably would have been complaining about uh, all the matches we had to go to, and suddenly we'd love to have them back again. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, you look, you look, you look now, and every day you get up and you say, "What's on today?" The weekends you'd be looking forward to matches. Um, games that appear on um, GA Gold there now on television that before you'd have been too busy to consider even looking at there was other you'd be going to games now they bring back some great memories so I suppose in the, the overall tragedy of it of what has happened and all sports been cancelled and everything been cancelled in the world um, it's definitely give us time to re, to restock and reevaluate life and reevaluate everything in life and I suppose catch up in the old memories which were great I really really enjoyed watching um, some of those old games especially the games that Cork were involved in um, it really brought back great memories and great Cork team great Cork players you know I presume as a young fella grew up in Ballinahassig hurling was always on the agenda big hurling parish and obviously a hurling family yeah I suppose my home place uh, Michael is right across the way from the GA pitch in Ballinahassig um, I remember coming home from school I'd say five, six, seven years of age, um, and we just literally running in home to my mother, throwing down Dennis and myself, throwing down our bags, going, getting Conleary next door, Ken Lord the rest, Michael Finnerty. We go across, and we would literally hurl until it got dark in the field, and that was seven days a week. And then the nights that the great teams were training, I suppose, back then when I would have been, I suppose, 
um, eight, nine, ten. We had a great fantastic team coming up with the, all the Coleman's, Martin, Brendan, um, Timothy Hayes, uh, Noel Canaan, Denis Finn, Ali Jordan. You know, um, it was just going over to training, Ken O'Brien involved with them, um, going over watching them. And I remember he used to be standing alongside of Martin Coleman and he used to make goal, like, miniature goalie hurlies for me. It was probably six or seven at the time. And he had broken one of his broken hurlies, he'd take it away and he'd make it cut it down and put a handle on it. I'm sure it was like all my Christmases came at once when um when he'd bring it down. Many nights he forgot it and it was like coming home so sad and so upset her and then the nights he'd give it to me, sure it was totally elation. I was blown away by it. I have to have my own Martin Coleman's goalie hurley cut down for me, you know, it was fantastic. Was that why you wound up in goals, uh, in an under twelve uh, competition that the club were involved in? Yeah, I suppose I was. I started under twelve when I was um, playing goal at uh, when I was seven. Um, yeah. It was just, I suppose, I was always playing with people probably older than me. Like my sister Mary played camogie for Cork. If I wasn't done with the lads, I was done with Dennis and Mary. Um, so I suppose I spent my fair share of time as a target man in goal for them as well. So I suppose I, I cut my I cut my trade in gold because of that. Um, and I suppose to be the youngest in that under twelve. It was just I was delighted. Um, I remember we were playing a game under twelve game one day, and Dick Coleman, Lawrence, his old Martin's brother, was a, a, an umpire standing up at the post, and it was a small post at the time. <laughs> I remember it was like the ad you see in television with the young fella looking behind it. I was looking at the cows or looking at a tractor and next thing Dick pushed me in front of the ball and I stopped. I managed to stop it and I never saw it coming out of my mind. I was so so young and so immature. I had the clue what was going on but I just, that's a memory I have of Dick just throwing me in front of the ball. He was standing talking to me next thing he pushed me and they were just great days like Willie Coleman training or under team Willie de Gard. Um, fantastic man, servant to fantastic GA. He... He moulded a great team that I was part of. I was very lucky um, all the way up, um, right up through um, minor under 21. But unfortunately, jobs were hard to come by then in the late 80s. And we lost a lot of players to immigration, J1s at the time. And some of them didn't come back. And we just, we all went our separate ways. But some of us made it onto the fantastic team after that. You know, pretty, we were playing intermediate at the time, you know. But um, they were great memories. Great, great memories. As a young fella then, as a teenager, it must have been fantastic. I think you were around 17 when you wound up on a Cork minor team. Yeah, I was actually, I had a deposit paid to go to America, working for the summer. I was a member of my next door neighbour, Connery, um, and uh, I got called up at 17 to the Cork minor team in 83. Connery went to America and I went playing hurling with Cork. Um, it was a great honour. It was I suppose it was a different level completely for uh, to be going in and to be coached by the Johnny Cliffords um, and the Conroaches and these players at the time. Um, phenomenal guys, phenomenal knowledge to game. And it took my hurling and I suppose it took my understanding of the game to a complete new level. And I suppose that's when, it, when I really got the real, real bug of trying to I suppose, achieve the best out of hurling. Um, for myself, um, was going in there training with the best. You were training with, we were a small country club, and you were training with the people from the bars, the Glen. City clubs were very, very strong at that time. The bars, the Glen, Middleton were coming through with underage. Um, but it was an honour to be in there. But um, it took me a long time to adjust to the speed of the game and to the level of skill in there. So any spare time I had, I was always trying to work on my speed and my skill and my fitness um, because 
unfortunately we were country clubs weren't playing at a higher level so you always have to be had to be doing the extra bit to stay up with the, the bigger clubs I presume Sean it's a bit of a regret now looking back that there was really no success for you at either a minor or under 21 yeah we played I played two years minor 83 84 beaten by Limerick in both uh, 84 was probably the more the biggest signaler um we were beaten by Limerick by two points up in Brewery. It was the centenary year. Um, it would have been fantastic to, uh, to get through. Yeah, we beat Kerry easy enough in the first round. Um, and then, same with under-21. I played two years under-21, 86, 87. Um, Clare were our bogey team back then. Um, um, it was just, yeah, it's, I, I, never, I never thought about it at the time. Um, but now they, they're... A lot of regrets. If I had some regrets in sport, there are few, but I would love to have just even played underage in Crow Park back then, or even played at a Munster final back then, um, just to really taste the, I suppose, the atmosphere under court. I would never, I didn't, I wouldn't have tasted that um, when I was, uh, say, playing the underage with Cork back in kind of early 80s. You did, though. Get All Ireland success in 1987. The All Ireland Junior, it was Junior that time, intermediate afterwards, beat Wexford in the final. Yeah, um, I suppose I I was called on the senior, the Cork senior team in '86. Um, Johnny Buckley from the I was 20 at the time. Johnny Buckley from the Glen got injured in the All Ireland semi final, and I had just played for Carrie Doe against Middleton in the park. I think. County semi-final or county quarter-final and I had, I had a pretty good game on John Felton and that night I got a, my mother got a phone call at home to come in training um, with the Cox seniors so I suppose I cut my teeth in 86 with the seniors and were part, was part of the sub for the 86 All-Ireland and then 87 came along um, I was a sub for 87 and sub again in the replay game we lost to Tipperary below in um, Killarney which was an incredible atmosphere that day going down to Killarney so I suppose what was left left me that year then was um, we got a run with the Cork, the Cork Juniors at the time, Cork and just now, and um, we we did very well. Um, and we ended up beating Wexford in the All-Ireland final. I suppose what made it extra special for me that day, Michael, was that um, my brother Dennis was part of the panel and came on that day. Uh, and we won. It was very special when a family member, especially your own brother, that you would have soldiered with at club level and... and at divisional level senior hurling, um, when you win an all Ireland medal, no matter what grade is that, um, it's looking back again now, it, it really made it a very special uh, time um, winning an all Ireland medal. Um, you know, um, it was a great day up in Thurless, great balance of I remember it well. Um, just a fantastic win. We beat Wexford by two points. It was, it was two and fro right through, and we just pulled away near the end. But it was a fantastic memory and a great, a, a great to have a, a, an all Ireland medal. And then involved with the, as you said, with the, with the seniors in, uh, in eighty seven. Injured though, then in in eighty eight, and then suddenly you seem to disappear off the radar in eighty nine. Did you think at this that stage it was all over? Yeah, I um, I injured my ankle and my back very badly in eighty eight. Two different injuries playing challenge games with Cork, and uh, didn't make what wasn't available for the eighty eight uh, game. We played tip. Uh, it's funny that we played tip in 87, 88 and 89. And then there was a change of, I suppose, managers in the Cork scene. Johnny Clifford left 
and Con Roach came on in 89 from the bars. And um, I suppose we were going through a big transition in our club as well at the time. We weren't very successful. I suppose I wasn't in the shop window much. And uh, for some reason, I suppose 89 just came and went and I didn't feature. And I was beginning to say, right, like at this stage I was 23. I've been on the panel, off the panel, injured. And I was saying, beginning to wonder, is that it? Or where, where is my my hurling career at the top level with Cork going? Um, Will I be just confined to playing with Balhasic and carry down? Which I had no problem with, but it was just a bit of a, a funny period of, of my career that there was a little bit of a um, an unknown happening. Um, change of managers, Cork not going well, um, losing to Walford in 89, beaten by Tip in 88, beaten by Tip in 87. So there was a big transition going, a lot of questions going on, a lot of questions in my own head. But I suppose what I'd learned, as I said, from going in training with Cork when I was when I was young at 17, is that perseverance, and I just stuck stuck at what I knew, and that was train hard and play hard, and and your your day will come, and uh, that's why I just kept doing. I just kept doing my best every day. I went over Balanhasic or every day, but I would carry down. I just kept playing and playing and playing my best, and hoping that again you'd come in the shop window and that um, somebody would spot you and you'd get your opportunity again because. I knew at 23 I was still young enough, um, plenty of hurling left in me. I was only, as I said, learning the trade still. You're learning all your life. Every day you get up playing sports, you learn. And um, I, I said, right, I've got to pers- persist at this, and if I get another opportunity, I'm going to grab it with my two two hands. had learned a lot from the experience of training with Cork in 86 and 87, winning the junior in 87. Um, so... Yeah, it was a funny, funny two-year period between between injuries and not making the the senior team again. But look, we moved on from that, and things changed after that. Sean, in two in 1989, Kenan O'Brien had become involved uh, with the Cork management. The he was the, the the coach. Suddenly, you answered the phone one evening, and Kenan O'Brien was on the phone. Absolutely. Um, there was a lot of speculation, I suppose, after the, the three bad years Cork had, 87, 88, 89. Um, there was a change in, in a change at the top table with the, city hurling, uh, the senior hurling selectors. Cannon was nominated as manager. And, uh, there was Martin Coleman from my own club, Dins Hurley from uh, Sars, Frank Murphy, Black Rock, and Liam Otuma were nominated or selected. And I was at home one evening. I uh, just finished work and the uh, phone rang at home. There was no very small boys back then. And it was the cannon. I was taken aback by I hadn't spoken to the man other than watched him in perform with Dan Hasek in the 70s in training. I was a very young fella. And telling me that they had sat down and picked a panel, an extended panel, and I was part of it. And he had faith in me, and the selectors had faith in me, and that they were giving me my chance, but I would have to grab it with my two hands and prove to them and prove to everybody that previously that you could hold down your place and you were good enough to play with Cork and play with Cork seniors and do you, my club, my family every, every, and everyone proud. I was taken aback. I wasn't expecting the phone call. <laughs> I said very little because with the cannon, you never got an opportunity to say much of it. But he was such an inspirational man that I literally came off the phone and I remember that night lying in bed and... I didn't sleep much after taking in what he had said and just giving me the confidence again to believe in myself and telling me that if I wanted a, if I wanted a place in the Cork team, it was there for me, but it was up to myself to fight for it. And I couldn't believe it that 
he gone out of his way to talk to me like this as an individual. And what I found out afterwards, uh, Michael, was that he'd done that with everybody. He'd taken the time out to actually ring them, tell them what was expected of them, tell them their plans. And at that stage, in October 89, the canon was talking about building a team, a team that would wear the red jersey with pride and get success and put car curling back where it should be. And he was always on about that, putting car curling back where it should be, that we were a very proud county. We weren't called a rebel county for nothing and that we really needed to turn car curling around and put it back up at the top of hurling again. I, I was inspired. I was blown away by his conversation for a day or two afterwards. As I said, I didn't sleep. He, he was such, such an inspirational man when he spoke. I know it would be scary. I only met the man once or twice ever and uh, when you meet him you certainly would be on the back foot almost straight away. I presume it was also scary going into training because there were some established uh, uh, figures on that on that panel as well and uh, okay I'm not saying that you weren't established but you were coming from an intermediate club at the time and going in and getting involved with guys from the big city clubs it must have been a bit daunting. It was, I suppose. I had tasted it a little bit, um, back, as I said, with 86 and 87. But coming in with a brand new selection company, but there was a freshness that um, Gerald McCarthy was our coach. What a fantastic coach Gerald was. Um, seemed to be able to understand every guy and was able to really tune into every guy's needs or if they were struggling. And I suppose with what Gerald achieved in hurling, he you'd just be in awe at his knowledge of the game and he Gerald just would speak to you. He would never dictate or roar at you. He would just come over to you and quietly have a word. But everything he said was right. Um there was a brand I suppose that whole panel for after Cannon and his other selectors getting involved, it really did get a shake up. So I wasn't the only new face, as we call it, back in the dressing room. There was a lot of new faces with I suppose Pat Buckley John O'Gorman, John Considine, Kieran McGuckin, Brindy Sull was, was back in. Um, there was a lot, a lot of new faces. John, John Fitzgibbon was kind of back hitting form again and coming back on the scene. Um, but everybody was inspired. It was like a brand new um, setup, a brand new uh, Cork team, whether you had experience or not. The experienced guys welcomed the new guys, and there was one aim and one ambition from day one. And the cannon had drilled that into us and kept drilling into us. It was kept putting, be proud of the Cork jersey and put it back on top of hurling. And it eventually, if you say something often enough, it, it will rub off on people. And I've learned that from the cannon. And he kept instilling confidence. Be proud of where you're from. Be proud of the county. Be proud of the red jersey. And um, we all gelled as a unit. It was so unique how this team of a lot of new faces, a lot of country boys, um, all gelled together and we had the experiences then of the Jock Cunningham, Kevin Hinnesley, Tomas Mull, Teddy, Jim Cash, Dennis Walsh, Joe Fitz, um, we had, um, we had Tony Sun, we had all these hugely experienced guys helping the younger guys along and all of a sudden 1990 started. It started with a, a win against Kerry, then he won the semi-final and suddenly you were facing the reigning champions at Tipperary and even that game now is still being spoken about all those years later, not because maybe what happened on the field, but because what the Tipperary manager, Babs Keating, said 
uh, in the build-up to the game about uh, donkeys don't win derbies? Yeah, and I suppose prior to that build-up, um, we played Waterford in the semi-final. Um, Kerry was Kerry. Um, we, I won't say we struggled to get over Kerry, but um, we struggled definitely against Waterford. And then we lost Teddy, um, Teddy McCarthy and Tomás McKay, who was our captain, nominated captain. We lost both of them through, I think, hand injuries at the time, going to the Munster final. Um, I suppose looking back on it, there was a lot riding on it for Tipperary, having contested the Munster final in 87, 88, 89 and winning it. Um, we went in with nothing to lose. The Cannon's build-up was phenomenal. And of course, then with Babs' statement, a week or 10 days out from the Munster final, that donkeys don't win derbies. And I suppose he was literally calling the Cork team and us and me that we were donkeys and that we weren't good enough we we weren't good enough to to be in the Munster final in the mind win it. Um, really, really, it got the got the cannon. It got up the cannon's goat, and it cannon used that to motivate us. And I just remember going out in that the, the week building up to that game. The training was so sharp. The training was so focused. People hardly spoke to each other at training. You came in. You did the drills with Gerald. You did your backs and forwards. We practiced a few of our best tactics there wasn't much back then but we knew there's some of uh, temporary strengths and some of the weaknesses um, and everyone was so focused but there was such a calmness that day above in the Anor Hotel going down going down the bus um, nobody even took into account that we were missing two star players there was a case of right two guys replacing them are good enough um, they'll get on with the job and when, the, when somebody gets tired or whoever needs to be replaced, do your best. Let your pound of flesh and your blood on the field and you'll be replaced by a, a man as good as you. And it was that kind of an attitude that, to me, was the first time that it was all about the panel and that everybody was as good as each other. And it was about, if you, if you didn't get picked, when you're, when you're put on, you go out and you prove yourself that you're good enough for the next day. And all of a sudden, we gave as good an inspirational day for Mark Foley that day, 2 7 which I've never witnessed um, a guy. And uh, a, a performance in Intercounty, I never played with anyone afterwards to score, score that many scores from play. Um, phenomenal. Um, Tip took the lead during the second half. We never panicked. We, we stepped, plugged away, plugged away. We took the lead and they just couldn't come back. I think they were shocked that we never lived down to them. Um, we didn't know how, how to lay down because we were a new team. We hadn't contested a Munster final in a while. Um, and for a lot of us, it was the first time playing a senior Munster final. And uh, coming back at him, kept coming back with him. And I think we just eventually, the level of fitness that Gerald had us at, we ran him into the ground and um, they had no answers to us. Um, it was just, a, looking back on it, it was a sensational day. You never appreciate those moments until years later. And you see what it leads to and what it meant to your family, what it meant to your club, people from your club, what it meant to the whole county, people from outside the county. Um, they were fantastic times, and it was just the next step on um, with this great team um, where we went in 1990. But as I said, we were, there was such a cam, there was an air of cam, um, and the cannon just used what Babs had said, donkeys don't win derbies, and, that statement has been said many times since. 
It must have been great to leave um, Turles that evening as the uh, Munster champions and look forward to uh, the All-Ireland series. And of course, that brought you up against uh, Antrim then in the uh, in the semi-final, they had, uh, of course, beaten, been beaten in the All-Ireland final the previous year. You overcame them and then that set up a, a meeting with Galway. Yeah, um, I suppose back then, literally every game was championship, Michael, um, because there was no back door, there was no, everything was knockout. So every day you went out, you had to win. Um, Antrim gave us enough of it um, in the first probably the first half of Bobham Crow Park in the All-Ireland semi-final um, but we we probably we found a win in the second half and we won comfortable enough afterwards and then the build up to Galway um, Cork hadn't been in All-Ireland with a while um, Galway were raging hot favourites going into it um, a very very good team um, and once again I suppose we had Teddy and Tomas back at that stage and Again, there was the focus. The cannon knew just perfectly how to focus each guy and himself. And Gerald would speak to guys individually um, during training sessions. And you'd, even after getting that phone call in October 89 from the cannon, I would have got numerous phone calls throughout that year. Random phone calls, random nights, random times. The cannon just giving you an update on how you're going what you need to improve on, what's ahead of us, what our journey is, what our in-game is. Um, he'd just keep you very focused. And he always seemed to know when to ring. Um, just when you're feeling maybe lacking a bit of confidence or you might have had a bad game, the cannon would be on the phone and it could be half 10, quarter 11 at night. And he would just spend half an hour on the phone going through what our plan is and stay focused and what our aim is at the end of the day. And then Gerald would carry it out inside and uh, in training. Um, I think like Galway, I think that day again, a bit like uh, Tipperary in the Munster final. Galway went in seven points or something up at half time. And Joe Cooney had an absolute storm in the first half. And uh, Cannon had a few choice work for a few players. I wasn't part of it, thanks, but it got inside the toilets at half time. But um, we turned the tide in the second half. And again, old saying goals win matches. Mark Foley came away, Mark banged in the goal, Kevin Hennessy banged in the goal, Tomas banged in the goal, John Fitz banged in the goal. Um, next thing the game was all, the game was, had turned on its head and for every score or point that Galway got, we were going down the other end and banging in a goal. And again, I don't know whether it's youth or no fear of loss, but every time Galway got a score, we kept coming back and coming back and we wouldn't lay down. And it's a great sign of a team, I suppose, looking back, and it's a great sign of the selectors and the manager and the coach that they were able to instill that belief into the team as a unit and the sub that came on. We used two subs that day um, and they had, they had a huge impact when they came on, both of them. Um, they, uh, we, stuck, we kept drilling away, drilling away and eventually the final whistle came and it was just for the year, I suppose for the years that I had um, had with Cork up and down um, and just to finish off the way it finished off it was like, it was something that I never experienced ever again at, at any level. It was just phenomenal. Can I go back for a second about what happened at halftime because that has sort of legendary status at this stage <laughs> about the three guys that were taken into a, a side room and uh, there's some suggestion of being doused in water. <laughs> there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things being said um, all I can all I can verify uh, Michael, was yes there was for the taken in yes 
there was some choice words said, and yes, there was some uh, water flying around the place. But um, but that's again, that was just a canon. Knowing how to get the best out of guys, um, whether it sounded extreme or not, but I suppose everyone gets one chance to play in the Northern final. The canon was coaching uh, our manager of the team. He wanted to come away with the cup. We wanted the cup. He knew we didn't do ourselves justice in the first half. He knew the guys that he took in um, hadn't played in the first half and had a big part in the turning of the game in the second half. So whatever was said in the dressing, or in the toilet with whatever was flying around the place, the cannon knew what to do. It worked, and it turned out that we ended up being our Ireland champions, uh, which was fantastic. Can I just... Uh... And talk about a few other things I suppose that caught my eye I was looking at the match of course a couple of weeks ago there on TG Carr and looking up on YouTube there earlier on today of course there was no helmets that time yeah um, I suppose the game was like I suppose the one thing and I watched it again um, uh, a couple of weeks ago was fantastic as I said they gave us all opportunities with the COVID-19 to watch these great games um, a couple of things that surprised me I suppose was how fast the game was. Um, I thought the way the modern game has been played now and you hear a lot of people comparing um, the modern game to the game back 15, 20 years ago that it's the, new, the modern game is a lot faster. I thought it was a quite enjoyable game. <laughs> I don't look at it too often. Um, but, uh, yeah, helmets, injuries, um, it wasn't, I suppose. It was, people went out, no different to today, Michael, and they played very hard but very fair. Um, if you got a belt... Nine out of ten times it wasn't meant, but you took it if you got it. If you needed to be stitched, you got stitched. If you needed to come off, you came off. And it was really did I ever see any bad injuries in my whole career from people from the, in in the game from people not wearing helmets, which is fantastic considering it's 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 a it's a dangerous game when people carry carrying a stick three foot long chasing around a slitter and pulling left and right but I suppose if everyone goes out to play fair and play hard it's unfortunate and if there's an injury but I can categorically state that I wouldn't have never seen I don't think I ever saw any really really bad injury um, uh, in back those days even though there was very few helmets worn. The other thing that uh like modern players now, you rarely get a chance to talk to them. Uh, if people wanted to see what the hell was going on back that time, they should just go on to uh, onto the internet. There's a 10-minute uh, piece from the dressing room up on up on YouTube. It used to be Bedlam. I would have often been in there myself in the in the in the in the 90s since C103 started. Uh, there was about 10 or 15 years there where you literally were able to go into the dressing room after the final whistle. Like it was absolute Bedlam. That would not be allowed today. And that's what's uh, that's the sad sad reality. Even with kids being allowed on the field at halftime, I'm against all. I really want would love to see kids going out at halftime. Michael. I remember my own family coming to the dressing room in Crow Park after the game. Um, I suppose we got in, the selectors and the managers, and the county board said their words. Galway came in, I suppose yourselves came in, and the media. But soon after that, I had my brothers and sisters and, and nieces and nephews and family all around me that day when we were finishing up in the dressing room and coming out. That's what made it extra special, that people were so... The players were so... Um, amenable to supporters and they could talk to them and like it was often 
two hours after the game, uh, Michael, before we get to our transport, whether it was a car or a bus, because so many people wanted to talk to you and so many people wanted to engage with you and congratulate you and talk to you. And that was fantastic. That's what makes GA so special, that you can touch the players, especially the older day, in the old days. You could t- talk to the players. Um, sometimes you wonder, are, are, are they making the players too precious? And I don't mean that that's not players' fault. Or play, it's just the, the structure and the problem with insurance and claims and everything. We're gone, we're gone very much a, a wrapped in cotton wool uh, kind of culture, and modern. And uh, it worries me and it disappoints me sometimes because I think back in our day, and I suppose in our business, I would meet a lot of the, the current players on and off. And um, I'd be looking at them and comparing their type of lifestyle with what we had and how we socialised. And I didn't mean socialising, going and socialised with um supporters after games versus what I see now and I think it's 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 missed and uh, the little bit of socialising after the game is probably missed um, because a lot of our main bonding would have come on um, evenings out and nights out the players or even with the players and our wives and partners back then and I think that's what made it extra special you, you learn a lot about a person as much off the field as on the field Sometimes, and I forged some fantastic friendships um, through the Cork team, which are still great friends of mine today. But some of them started a night after the game, and where we went out and had a few drinks and a bit of fun, and our wives became friends, and we went on holidays together, and it 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 was fantastic. I worry sometimes about the modern game and just how how the demands on the players and how much I suppose social media has a big play, a big place to play in it with. You know, a person can't be seen to be doing anything or saying anything now, and next thing it's 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 gone all over the world. We never had none of that. Um, we had our own close knit friends group together, we socialised together, we played games together, we trained hard together. But it was it was us and it was ourselves and it was the group that was part of the Cork panel. Before we finish talking about the All Ireland in 1990, the last thing I suppose I want to to talk about is the homecoming. I'm sure you'll remember it forever and a day. It was phenomenal. Um, I suppose we went back to the Burlington Hotel that night. Um, it's amazing. The Monday tends to be a better day and the Monday night for a lot of reasons. Um, exhaustion was the big thing I remember on the Sunday night in Dublin. Um, from, I suppose, the build-up to the game, lack of sleep probably with nerves the night before, um, playing in the game, the euphoria after the game coming back to the hotel, everybody wants to talk to you. Um, I remember actually I was in bed, say, I think half one, two o'clock on the Sunday night after winning the Ireland. I was just drained, mentally and physically drained. But the Monday we got up, the hotel was full of Cork people. People that had, I knew that had flown over from England, had flown over, people come home from America. They were meant to go home, to back, back home. They didn't. They cancelled flights. They stayed on, travelled down to Cork with us. And we were getting word as we were, we went to Kilmaine on that day and we'd agreed it was tradition at the time the two teams go out and have a meal in Kilmaine and jail in Dublin and then you'd get the bus to Houston Station and get the train down and then you'd do your stops in Charleville and Mallow. And we were getting word as we were hitting Charleville that the crowds were building um, in Cork and we were saying, yes, look, great to win. Um, it, there were scenes like we barely could get on the bus from um, Kent Station. 
with the volume of people that were trying to see the team coming off the train that Monday night. And the crowd was the, the, the width of the, from the bus drove from Kent Station up McCurtain Street and down Patrick Street and stopped at the Imperial. I just remember that it took so long. The amount of people the bus had to literally inch its way through the crowds because the streets were full. No matter what the guards and security were trying to do, they couldn't prevent the volume of people from being in front of the being in, in the bus. Everybody just wanted to welcome the team home. That were called donkeys, given no hope in the Munster final. Um, uh, beaten Galway were were no hope at half time against Galway, and turn around and give such enjoyment to the supporters. Um, it was phenomenal scenes that I never ever. Um, have seen before are again uh, be part of it was just the volume of people I don't know how many people thousands upon thousands of people on Cork that night and obviously but, Sean special as well the night that you brought the cup to uh, Ballinhasic yeah I, like it was fantastic um, we just went down to Martin Coleman and he's one and I must mention he was he was my hero when uh, when I was growing up I told you about him making goalie early when I was young um, he became a Cork selector he um he guided me and coached me and helped me again like the cannon he would he would talk to me um so we went to the halfway first with with the cup down to his brother's bar at the time and a lot of the players I was very I was very privileged and very honoured and humbled by the amount of players that turned up uh, on the night to come to Ballinhasic because it does you do get tired of going on to all the other and people have to go back to work going on to all the other clubs but I think a depth of respect the players had for each other and had developed for each other and down through that 12 months um, everybody where possible tried to turn up for each other's clubs um, so we had a phenomenal night um, great reception at the halfway in Balhasek, great reception in the clubhouse in Balhasek um, great reception in the hall um, and then we went across to our locals for um, uh, Coleman's for uh, some drinks and um, people stayed on, and there was just fun kids out there. It was all about the kids that night. The kids just encouraging kids to play the GA. The multi young people dressed up in cork jerseys, cork hats, hurling in their hand, playing. When, when it all finished, you'd look out in the field and the pitch dark, and there was kids all over the place, belting ball. It, it just did phenomenal. Um, it lifted our club. It lifted probably the county, um, and it just was inspirational through wherever the that cup Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. It was inspirational for the G and holding for the cock. And I'd say, Sean, and it's probably true that like, it has grown in stature down through the years because of the fact that the double was involved as well with the footballers. Yeah, I suppose, and you look, you look ahead, you look what happened after that, um, Michael. It became part of a double, which has never been achieved since. Um, we were very much focused on um, winning our our grade and our our I suppose holding our category. But the great thing about it, Billy Morgan came in um, to us a couple of nights before we played in the Ireland final, and he spoke to us. And I know the Cannon had went to the footballers and spoke to them before they went to Dublin. We went up there to see the game. Um, again, looking back, you only appreciate it now of what it, what it, it meant and the way it's been written into history. Um, and no one to ever to achieve it since. Um, Teddy um, to win the double. Tess Walsh probably almost won the double. Um, but you look at then what happened afterwards. We contested in All Ireland in '92, lost it. And we had the three great league games against Wexford in '93, and I didn't contest in All Ireland final after that again. So it, it really, I suppose, what it taught me, but I suppose hindsight's a great thing. You really have to live for the moment and appreciate. I'll just and I'll tell you this one story. Um, the night that we went out to the Glen on the Monday night. Tomás was captain and we went after the Imperial Bowers tradition to go to the, the captain's club. And we were outside in the Glynn club room and this was later on in the evening and one of the Glynn Star Wars came up to me and just said, look, there's a man over here who would like to, to say hello to you and congratulate you. And I said, no problem. I didn't know where. He just took me by the arm and he led me over to a man, oldish man, sitting down with a seat, a frail man. And when I looked down, it was the great Jack Lynch. And he just turned around to me. And he just he said he, he spoke very quietly. He was a very quite unassuming man. And I'd never had spoken before after that. And he just said to me, Sean, he said, remember, there's many a great man has wore that jersey and hasn't achieved what you achieved. So appreciate what you have. And he said, don't ever abuse it. And I said, thanks, Mr. Lynch. And I went back about my business and years now later, I just think back on what he said and how right he was because we contested another All-Ireland in 92 last game and I never played in one after that again and I played some with great some great players like Timmy Kelleher, Barry Egan and many more had never had the opportunity to achieve what I achieved and they were great friends of mine and I just think back on what Jack Lynch said to me on that Monday night above inside the Glen uh, uh, Jay Hall and how right he was. 
No. Hindsight's a great thing. That brings me on nicely now to your time with uh, Ballon Hassig and for most of your time with them, you were playing junior hurling because, of course, you went uh, down to junior in 1990. Yeah, we went down to junior in 1990 uh, and and I suppose we were rebuilding um, and people had great hopes that we'd win the South East in 90. I togged out a week after playing the All Ireland final uh, to play Kinsale in the South East semi final in Riverstick. Uh, Kinsale beat us. Um, big shock for us, first year down. We thought it was a matter of coming down and gather gather our thoughts and get together and rebuild and be back up quite quickly. Uh, but, but we were beaten by Kinsale, who were afterwards beaten by Carrigal Line that year. And we went along and we um, contested, I think, eight out of the 11. Southeast finals after that um, uh, and I suppose our main rivalry all the way up I suppose would have been we would have played mainly Corsair Rovers we played in 8 of the 11 um, Belly Garvin 1 Carrigaline 2 but um, we found us we contested the county final in 95 against Killer. Killer beat us well um, very disappointing for us um, and we got stuck in a rust down in junior hurling um, we'd win a Southeast, we'd lose a Southeast final. Invariably, it was Corsi Rovers were nearly our bogey team always, um, tit for tat. And it was really, really getting frustrating. My my years were slipping away. Um, all the fellow, uh, Dennis, my brother, and all the fellows that I would have played with since 83 with the club um, were getting a lot older. And we were saying, is this ever going to happen for us? Are we ever going to get the breakthrough? Are we ever going to get back out of into our junior, back up into media? And we see teams like Courses courses beat us and went up. Um, and there was a lot of frustration beginning to build um, within our, within myself and within the club that um, had we got it to what it takes. And in 2000, we were beaten by Nemo in a county final. A footballing team playing hurling. They physically destroyed us. Um, and questions started to creep in. You know, like, like the All-Ireland in 1990, were we ever... Uh, was I ever going to see intermediate hurling again? You mentioned all those games against uh, Corsi Rovers. I would have seen a lot of them there in the 90s. The one, though, that's probably remembered for all the wrong reasons is one in 2001 called the Battle of Kinsale. Yeah, that was... Um, <laughs> yes, I've heard it been called that. Um, I think, back to what I said earlier, it was a build-up of frustration Um we got to know each other too well. And they were as hungry for success as we were to get up out of the junior grade. Um, and we were playing below and say that day. Horses were the better team. Um, and probably 15 minutes into the second half, um, there was something happened. And before we knew it, the whole field, including some supporters at the time, were in over the wire. And it was a horrible, ugly scene. Um, but nothing malice was meant by it. It wasn't premeditated. There was no hatred against each other. But I think it was just the build-up of frustration of two clubs that want to excel and want to get out of junior junior grade. And we'd met each other um, so often. We were, I think we won five out of the eight. They won three. Um, and it was ugly. Um, it wasn't nice. And the kids, there was kids that kids saw it. Um, but it put manners, I think, in both clubs, and it definitely put manners in our club. Um, there was meetings called, and there was 
hearings called and there was a lot of things called and I think both clubs reevaluated where they were going and re, uh, took a real good deep look at themselves on how they could um, move on from this and portray what they're, they're about rather than what happened in Kinsale that day. And I know, Sean, it was a huge wake-up call for, as, as you say, for both clubs, but particularly for yourselves because things had to change. You wound up suddenly being the manager and within, within two years you were All-Ireland champions. Yeah, we um, we lost uh, we lost that day to courses, um, and the club. I suppose there was hearings held. We were fined, dished out from the by the Southeast Board, um, and later on, the, towards the end of that year, coming up to AGM time, I, I got a phone call from the, the chairman of the club, uh, John O'Sullivan at the time, and he pulled something off me. And he's John is a very good politician or tactician or mind reader, mind changer, he kind of said to me, he said, Sean, look, the club really, really needs someone to take take him over, to, get, to put us back where we should be and to get some respect back in the club and to really, really um, push on with a lovely young Meyer team coming through. And it was he really begged me and would I consider taking over the team that the club really needed after what happened in Kinsale in 2001. I suppose I did consider it. I had two young, I had three young kids at the time, um, very young, and uh, spoke with my wife Paula, and she understood my passion for it, and she had witnessed what happened in Kinsale and understood from listening to conversations at home how low the club was at at the time. And uh, I I spoke to Johnny back, and uh, we trashed out. I had a few few requests that I needed that I would want, uh, and I agreed to take over the team. For 2002, the funny thing about it, Michael, I suppose I was so caught up and intrigued by the by the proposition that I suddenly thought when when I started to put my two selectors in place, which were Mick Lumbert and uh, Jorah Halloran, that I had officially retired myself by accepting the manager's job from the first team of Belmarsh. But look, at that stage, I was I was going at about 80%. I was picking up injuries. I couldn't train fully. I had young, I had, uh, I had young uh, young kids. And I was just getting involved in a new business at the time. And, you know, I had I had uh, questions to ask myself, was I better on the sideline coaching or was I better on the field? And I had to answer some truthful questions to myself and accept that well, maybe it, it was time that I went on the line. It turned out to be a wonderful journey anyway. Father O'Neill's, uh, you overcame them in the uh, in the county final. Balna Hinch from Tipperary in the Munster final and then faced a team called Black and Whites from Kilkenny in the All-Ireland final and of course uh, won the All-Ireland final. I think it was one of the first uh, All-Ireland junior club finals that I that um, that was being held at the time. Yeah, it was the inaugural final. Um, first one that was recognised. And I suppose, tell you the character of the team, um, that junior competition ran into the 2003 uh, year and we played first round of our uh, intermediate uh, in 2003 on the Friday night down on Cove um, beat Terry Tool and we had to go down on the Sunday two days later to play the Black and Whites in Walsh Park in Waterford in the Ireland Junior Club final and we players had no issue with that we turned it around we beat Carry Tool on the Friday night and moved on then two days later to play and the Black and Whites below in uh, Walsh Park it was a phenomenal time it was brilliant for me I got such a buzz 
um, from it. Um, the players responded to it. Um, I had two great selectors with me. Everything I asked for from the club, they delivered. Um, it was it was pleasure to me. It was one ounce of work because I loved what I was doing. And we had a very, very young team, like Declan O'Sullivan um, got mad at the match in the county final. He was 19, um, got eight or nine points, I think, that day. Um, it, I had great memories. Um, it was as good as being above in Crow Park in 1990. I promised myself that day I have a big habit of rushing off the field. I did it in the Munster final in 90. I was inside the dressing room, forgot there was a cup presentation, but I swore that day if we'd won in the park, I was going to be one of the last to come off the field when we played Father Neils in 2002. And I was. I just savoured every moment. I saw the happiness in every one of the players' faces, the subs, family, supporters, and I stood out in the field and I just took in. It's like, it's like a drug. It would, it would keep you going for a year. The the buzz you get from that kind of thing, the happiness it brings to people. Um, it was a phenomenal time, and it really I have great great memories of um of those two years with the club. We began our conversation talking about business wise where you are at the moment. I just wonder, do a lot of the people that are going into the various. Uh, establishments that you're uh, and other people are involved in in the city, do they realise that uh, one of the owners is such a famous man? <laughs> what about famous, uh, Michael? Um, I, I suppose, look, they'd be a core GA group going there. There'd be a core um, sports, a lot of sports people, I suppose. We have kind of involved in four places between Soho, East Village, Paddy the Farmers and the New Valley or Steela Jacks. A lot of them would show a lot of sports. They all show sport. Um, I suppose I keep myself a little bit to the behind the scenes and the operation side of it. Um, I do love the buzz from the bar business. I love meeting people still. Um, we get great support from our own club and a lot of local clubs around. We're heavily involved with Balanasic. We're the main sponsors um, of the adult club and the underage. Um, and we also sponsor the Balanasic Ladies Football. Um, get great support from them. We're involved with the Cork team, I suppose. They come in, we look after them and a lot of other teams, the county teams on and off. But to answer your question, I suppose, yeah, there's a lot of people come in and dine or drink and any of those premises and daughters that I suppose I don't own them anymore at the park because there's three of us involved. And the great thing about it, we're three friends. We grew up in Belfast together, Derrio Regan, John Cronin and myself. Played under 12 hurling together. We played all the way up minor um, and we made friends and then went our separate ways and got back in business in 2003 and still in business today thanks for the god but uh, these times will test any 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 business including the hospitality or business but look we've never died a winter yet and we'll we'll keep soldiering on and try and get back to some normality in the next month or six weeks and uh get people back employed you know it's i feel for i feel for the staff i feel for a lot of people that have mortgages young kids and i look at them like looking at looking look them in the eye on the 16th of march and tell them they have no job um and when we go when we reopen we won't be reopening at the same level so there'll be some hard decisions to be made unfortunately um but that's nature of business you have to take the good with the bad but like like the hurling and like the ga and um, there's ups and downs in every business and every sport so you take the good with the bad and you just get on with life again you know hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.